Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Live Well Bipolar. You guys, I am not alone this week. I am virtually sitting with Gabe Howard today. And for those who don't know who Gabe is, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him before turning it over to let him tell us his story and what I why I asked him to come here today. So Gabe is the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and host of the popular podcast Inside Bipolar from Healthline Media. And what I want to highlight with this podcast for you guys is it's very unique in the sense in Gabe is on the podcast. He's one of the hosts with someone who lives with bipolar and has been a patient. And he also has Dr. Nicole, who is a psychiatrist who joins to really give you both lenses, as you can say, of what it's like to have lived experience and also that medical model as well. But I asked Gabe to come on and talk to me today because I got to shout out our friend Shaylee from This Is Bipolar podcast. He went on Shaylee's podcast and he said something that stuck out to me. When it comes down to people living well with bipolar disorder, don't brag about it. We often see more of the crisis and the problems and things of that nature. And I heard him talk about this and say that, and I realized how true that has been for me in my life and how many of you guys who reach out to me share that same sentiment. So who better to have this conversation than Gabe, the one who said it and got into this topic on Shaylee's podcast. So Gabe, thank you so much for making the time to come out on Live Well Bipolar and share not only your story and your experiences, but the amazing work that you've been able to do in this field to shed light on these topics. Oh, I appreciate you so much for having me. And it was an easy ask. I mean, I'm currently sitting in my house, right? Like I just, I had to go upstairs and shut a door. It, it was, it was the least, I mean, like literally it was the least I could do. <laughs> I love it. I love low effort. We were talking before I hit record. I was like, how's your day going? He's like, it's almost over. And I was like, I feel that, but it's these conversations that just keep us anchored in those feelings of hope and going off of that too. I know a little bit about your background, right? But for everyone who's listening, I love to start with the landscape of your story. So if this is correct, walk me through this. You were diagnosed with bipolar disorder hospitalization in 2003. So you're coming up on, yeah, 21 years after the diagnosis and you weren't diagnosed until your late twenties. So can you briefly walk us through what it felt like for you when you heard the words, here's your diagnosis, bipolar disorder, boom. What happened for younger gay back in the days when that happened? I, I love being referred to as younger Gabe. Like that means I'm currently older Gabe. <laughs> older Gabe, wiser. <laughs> so wait a minute. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's a that, that, it's a it's a really really important question. If I if I go right to that moment, meaning I'm sitting there, doctor across from me, and he says, "Dude, you have bipolar." I, I don't remember his exact words, but obviously, I I, I understood him to mean that I have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So obviously I thought, well, okay, who do I know with bipolar disorder? And only one person came to mind, and that is Kurt Cobain. For, for those of you who are unfamiliar, Kurt Cobain was the lead singer of the alternative rock band Nirvana. They, they invented grunge, huge in the 90s. And the reason that this is important is because at the time I was diagnosed, he had already passed away he had completed suicide. He died by suicide. So in that moment, here is what I knew. I was diagnosed with the identical illness that a multimillionaire, world famous, 
once in a lifetime musical talent person was diagnosed with who died from it. That's what I knew. It was absolutely devastating, lonely, awful, horrible. And then the second thing that popped into my brain is, oh shit, that's a mental illness. Oh my God, I, I could have snapped, right? Like, like mm -hmm. I could have snapped. I could have become violent and killed my mother, right? Just like, so all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. I have to go to a halfway house and holy shit, I could have killed somebody. And all of these things are coalescing in me while of course I'm admitted to a psychiatric hospital, which by the way, is nobody's best day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember that. I remember my hospitalization when I was 19, when I got my diagnosis of bipolar one disorder and same exact sentiment that you bring up of that relationship between hearing the word bipolar, who do I know? Right. And, and saying, okay, Kurt Cobain and then mental illness. And that is synonymous with violent, abusive, not having a successful life, being able, having to go to a halfway house. And that's exactly all that I knew, all that I saw. It's so much more common to hear the negative side, the downfalls, what isn't working, what isn't helping. And really the reason why I put this podcast together is to try to feature more stories of what does it look like? Is it possible to live well with bipolar disorder? Is it possible to achieve that? How do you do it? And I'd love to hear like, from that moment when you got that diagnosis and then now, right? So that time period from that day, all the way to present day here, how long did it take you to feel like you were able to acknowledge, yes, this is something that I live with. And then that you actually felt like I have supports that make a, make a real difference. There's a few different answers to that question. It, it's a very complicated question and an important one. So I'm, I'm going to sort of answer it in stages because it came to me in stages. Mm -hmm. The first thing is, is later on in that same hospitalization. So I'm, I'm still, you know, committed to a psychiatric hospital, but I, again, I thought my life was over and I believed all these things, but I was sitting in a support group and, and I imagine this audience is probably very familiar with support groups, but I, I'm going to explain it to you anyway. Uh, you know, when you sit in a support group and you go around the little thing, it's called a check-in, you mm -hmm. know, and people say like, hello, my name is Barbara and I live with depression. And this week has been pretty good, right? So it, it got to somebody, a lot of people were there with depression, anxiety. Uh, some people didn't even have a diagnosis. They're just like, you know, hi, my name is Barbara and I feel shitty, but whatever. But there was this woman and I don't remember her name. I don't remember what I look like. She, I was 26 and she was probably about 35. So about 10 years older than me. And she said, my name is X. I live with bipolar disorder and this week has been hard. My, my, my husband and I are just not connecting. We've, we've been, we've been fighting a little bit. The, the, the kids are just awful. The house is always a mess. I'm struggling at work. I just feel like I'm not keeping up. And here is what I heard. I have bipolar disorder and I have a spouse, a house, children, and a job. I, I, I'm not trying to be selfish, but I didn't care about her situation, except that she was a woman living with bipolar disorder who had all of the things that I want in life, including the, the, the issue of managing it all. And I was just like, well, now, wait a minute. That's outside of the scope that I was taught to believe that everybody with bipolar disorder is violent in a halfway house, antisocial, living in their parents' basement and every other insult. So that was step one. That that got the gears a turning, right? But then I was released from the hospital. And I like to say that that began my four-year epic battle against mm -hmm. bipolar disorder. 
because it took four years. I needed to go through a lot of therapy, needed to learn a lot of coping skills. I needed to practice a lot of coping skills. I needed to fail at a lot of coping skills. Mm -hmm. I, I needed to get medication that both helped control my bipolar symptoms without having side effects that were worse than the bipolar mm -hmm. symptoms. And all of that took a, a long time. It took four years. So I, I had to buckle in for that. But then here's the next thing that started happening. As I got closer and closer to recovery, I had more time to think about what I wanted my life to look like, number one. And two, I was re I was reaching recovery. I was reaching stability. I have moments where I thought this is a real possibility. Now, sometimes I would screw those up, but I got closer than ever to success during those four years. So by the time all the pieces came together, I thought, well, now, wait a minute. I, yes, bipolar disorder will be with me forever. I'm always going to have to manage it. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's bullshit and it sucks, mm -hmm. but it's here to stay, but I'm winning. I'm winning. I, and I just, I just kept saying that over and over and over. I'm gonna win. And then it was just a matter of putting all the pieces together. Uh, it, it, it sort of reminds me of like a sports franchise. Like this is a rebuilding their year. This is a growing year. And they just get a little better year after year. And then one day everybody's like, oh my God, they won the championship. How did that happen? And then you look back at all of the seasons where they were just getting a little bit better, getting a little bit smarter. That's what it was like for me. But it all starts with this belief that you can win the championship. Right. Do not bet on a team that starts off their like preseason press conference with, well, we're not going to make it. I mean, we suck. And, you know, teams like us just never win. And yeah, we blow. All right. Next. Yeah. Don't bet on those teams. You got to be the team. that's like we can do it, even if you think it's hard. So you got to have that belief in yourself and that slowly build over time. Wow. I think something that stuck out to me was that shift in mindset, because I know when you talk about being in that support group and you say, I don't remember the woman's name, but I know I'm sitting here, I'm 26. She's around 35. She's talking about these things that I don't think that I will have. And I felt that same way of seeing people, oh, you're married. You have a house, you have kids, you have a job. Those are things that I would like to have, but that I don't think is going to work out for me because of this little thing called bipolar that I don't fully know. I don't really, I'm still new to it, still navigating it. But what sticks out to me is when you talk about, I'm going to win. I'm winning. That's really for me what I resonate with because I had that same four year. When you talk about four years of going through it, figuring out what works for you in terms of therapy, medication, managing symptoms, all of these different pieces, that really hits with me because it wasn't until I was 23 when I was finally able to feel like, you know, I'm in the place now where I can talk about this without shame. After that, the four year period, going through all of that to being 30. What was it like for you after that four-year period? Did you feel like I'm able to talk about this openly or what was that transition like from going through that to doing what you do today? There, there's a, once again, it, it's not a straight through line. The, the first thing I want to let everybody know is, is I had a job when I was diagnosed, which means I was out of work for six weeks. And then I went back to work and people were like, where were you? And I was like, I was in the psychiatric hospital, right? Because I, and, and listen, I, I'd worked for this company for years. People, they, they were off work for surgery. They were off work for, you know, family medical leave act. They were off work for pregnancy. They were off work for caregiving reasons. Do you know how many cards I signed and how many $5 I had donated for people who were off work for two, four, six, eight weeks? 
So I was off work for six weeks because I was sick. I came back and I said, hi, I was in a psychiatric hospital. And you know, they turned on me. Mm. I just, can you believe that? Wow. I mean, just <sighs> so for, for the next several years after I lost that job and, and, and sadness followed, um, it's really a hard time to lose your job when you're sick because that's where you get your health insurance. Mm. Uh, but that's a topic for another time. Right. So I really kept my mouth shut for a long time. But, but here's what stuck with me is just this idea that nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah, there, there is a safety in hiding. And it was, it was a good idea for me to hide at that time because I was very vulnerable I couldn't defend myself. Uh, you, you know, look in the animal kingdom, if you if you can't beat the predator, hide from the predator, mm -hmm. right? That's so I could not win at that point. But you know that then I got better, and uh, I you know I, you can't tell on you know I, I I'm six foot three. I am two hundred and fifty pounds. I am loud. I come from a family of loud people. I of course have. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old and I'm white middle-class from the Midwest. So I got like all that gumption going for me. <laughs> and I just really thought why on earth is nobody speaking up? It was starting to irritate me. The fact that I couldn't find anybody. And I realized relatively quickly that I have a shit ton of protective factors that, that that's really the best way that I can put it right? I come from a middle-class family. My family is aligned with me speaking about it. They're, they're not saying, you know, don't air the dirty laundry. Don't tell anybody we're ashamed. No, they're like, dude, we're not stopping you. Tell anybody you want. What's, what's your damn problem? You, if you're not talking about it, that's on you. Don't blame your mother. Don't blame your father, your brother, your sister. I just talk all you want. Uh, and I, I knew that I would have that support, even if the entire world turned on me. And yet I was still keeping my mouth shut out of fear. And I started to realize like, look, I, I want to do this. I'm loud. I took debate in high school. I, I, I was in sales, which is very people oriented. Mm -hmm. I understood influencing people before influencer was a term based on the jobs that I held and the training that I had. I worked in fundraising for nonprofits for Pete's sake. So I understood community organizing fundraisers, just so you know, they literally raise money selling you nothing, right? Mm -hmm. That's how good they are. They're like, hey, do you want nothing in return? Give me some money. And people are like, <laughs> yes, right? I, I know that's an oversimplification for the joke, but this was my training. This, this, was, this was my background. This was my support system. And I was like, dude, if Gabe, you can't speak up, nobody can. Mm -hmm. Nobody has it, frankly, more than you. If you can't withstand it, it, it it's over. Like, and, and that made me feel sort of almost responsible in, in some way that, that I'm, I'm not trying to say that I threw on the cape and I'm the hero of the day, but if I didn't feel empowered to share my own story, what hope did we have? So, mm -hmm. you, you know, I, I, I went out and did it. Uh, there's a little joke that I like to tell, you know, I really did ask my parents like, Hey, uh, you know, I'd been to enough support groups. I, I, I'd seen enough families broken. I, I'd heard enough grandmas crying about your air in the dirty laundry. You're embarrassing the family. I, and, and I sort of wanted to like scapegoat them. 
right? Like mom, dad, I want to tell everybody that you screwed up and that I had bipolar disorder and that I almost died because, you know, you spanked me instead of getting me help for my mental health issues, which were glaringly obvious to anybody with connected brain cells. Is it okay if I tell everybody that? And I was really super hoping they'd be like, no, don't say that. And then I could be like, awesome. I'm not allowed to do it because mom said no. And of course my parents were like, you should tell everybody we screwed up. We don't want any family to have to go through what we went through. Tell everybody. <sighs> now, the funny joke in all of that is then I got here. My mom has since said, we didn't really think you were going to make it very far. If we had known how many people were going to hear this message, we probably would have put some guardrails in. And that is how come to this day, anytime I tell this story, I remind the audience that my mother got knocked up in high school because she told me to share our story raw and unflinchingly. I love it. Especially something that stuck out to me out of all of this, what you just shared is that aspect of fear. I feel the same exact way when you went to ask your parents and it was like, please say no, because when you talk about your sales background, that's literally the same space that I work in and being in that kind of world, but then noticing when you go in and you talk about sharing that with your work and saying, look, do you know how many cards I sign for people, whatever their leave is pregnancy, whatever it is. Right. And then I come here and I'm very open with it. And I'm assuming you were fired. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was terminated from my job for, um, uh, for what, what, what fancy word did they use for, uh, they, they said that I wasn't doing a very good job. Now in my last review, I, I ranked higher than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, you know, about nine months later, I was somehow at the bottom. It's almost right. like they factored in the time off to get that average because oh yeah, I mean, obviously you can't have very high. Yeah. It was performance reasons. Mm-hmm. Yes. It turns out that when I wasn't there, I was not doing the same amount of work as people who were there. And it was a sales no. job. No, it wasn't a sales job. I was working in it at the time I was supporting, uh, uh computers I, I was working at a network operations center, uh, but it, it's just, it, it's, 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 it's just utterly fascinating. The, the uh, mental gymnastics that they will go through to prove that even though there's no problem, there is one. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no problem with me. The problem that they had is that my coworkers felt uncomfortable around me. Mm. Uh, so they had a choice between letting me go or letting them go. Wow. Uh, they should have let them go. They were the ones who were wrong. I had the same, I feel the same sentiment because I was fired from all this. I can go through the whole multiple jobs, quit all the things. Same kind of reasoning is, and it was also odd, but still it ended up happening the way that it did. And we're here talking about this. But when you said what held you back is your family was like, yes, talk about this. And you kept, you mentioned fear. And I feel like that was the thing for me too, of going through that, that four-year period being like, should I share this? Should I get into this? Right. And for me, I feel like I was looking for the same thing. I was looking for someone to tell me, no, don't do it. Stay where you're at. You have more to lose than you do to gain. Cause I, I know for me, when I think about it now, what helped me speak up was I started to think about pretty similar to what you're sharing is I started to think about all the people I'm hurting by not speaking up. Who am I doing a disservice by not sharing this experience? So if there's anything in particular, that's really stands out for you. When you talk about this fear, what was it that finally got you to say, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to do it. I, I thought about a lot about when I was diagnosed that, that it's, it, it, it sticks with you. I, I just, 
I, I don't think that I really have to convince anybody that being admitted to a psychiatric hospital is, is one of those life-changing experiences. It's just one of those things that even if everything goes perfect and well, it, it's traumatizing and it's scary and it opens your eyes to things that you, you just, you, you maybe didn't want to see. It, it just, I, I, I don't know that I have to convince anybody of it, but, but, but if I do, it is in fact, all of those things. And uh, I, I was so lonely. I felt so hopeless because remember the only person I could think of was a famous dead guy, a rich, famous dead guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought about that version of Gabe a lot and how desperately I wanted to find anybody who was living well, because imagine if instead of Kurt Cobain popping into my head, you, you, you know, you popped into my head. It's like, Gabe, you've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Okay. There's this woman on the internet. All right. All right. She, you know, you know, you know, she, she, she's, she's got bipolar disorder and she's living well. You know, she, she's got a sales background. I, I kind of have a sales background. Okay. All right. All right. Imagine my shift in there, not, not my shift in thinking, but imagine my trajectory. If you were my first thought mm -hmm. instead of the, the, the individual who completed suicide, right? That, that's a completely separate mindset. And uh, I thought over and over and over again, it, it, if I'm not providing that example, then I, I'm, I'm just, you, you know, I sort of felt like I was wasting it, right? I did all this work to live well and nobody knew it. Nobody knew it. And uh, all these crisis examples just kept showing up over and 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 over again. But, but the, 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 the boring dude who like lived in the suburbs and had a freaking dog, he was nowhere on the radar. Mm -hmm. So you know what? I'm loud. Nobody's stopping me. I need to get over this fear. So I started to focus more on all of the new Gabes. And that, that's like what I called them in my head. I'm like, I have to help the next Gabe who gets diagnosed. I have to help the next Gabe who gets diagnosed. I just want somebody somewhere to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder and say, you know, there's this loudmouth redhead on the internet <laughs> and he seems to be doing okay. So I can do okay too. That, that became my, my mantra. That was my, my why that was my reason. That was my through line. Now, obviously it, it's been, you know, 10 years it's, it, it's opened up. We've got, you know, branding and monetization and, but, but, the, the, that has been the constant for 10 years. I just want people to have a positive example. Wow. Something that really sticks out to me is when you talk about all the future Gabes and feeling lonely. When you said that th this example, you talk about of doing all the work and you did everything and you're finally in a place where I'm living well, but no one knows about it because I don't want to say it because then it will what, what's, what's going to happen, right? It's all those imaginary, what if scary scenarios that we make in our minds. And I know I do this all the time and being able to, to start with that, that person of, I don't know these future games, but if they could go on the internet and look up and see, see someone else. And that's what it is for me, because I know for me, I, I didn't know anyone else. And I feel like when you're able to see people, what is it about you that, what did you actually do to be able to live well with bipolar? What did you have to change? What did you have to alter? What did you, have, what do you have to do still today? And I think that's, that's something else that's important to iterate too, is just because you've done the work, right. And you, it's not done. It's not like, oh, and I, and I think it, you can relate it to, to physical health, right. I think something I'm going through right now that 
start of the past two months is dealing with stomach issues and stuff. And just how you have to look into that, address it. What's the cause? Same exact thing with living with bipolar disorder. What are those triggers? What are those moments? What is that pain? What is the trauma? What is it? And just getting awareness of it. And what can I do to shift out of it? So when you said, especially with being that example to speak up of someone who's lived living well with bipolar and is successful and has accomplished these things that you never thought that you could have. And I want to hear your, your take on this. Cause I ask every single person, this question, there's always a different answer. And that's why I do it because there's always something that sticks with me. And you guys know, I'm always writing things down, even though this is recorded, I am always taking notes because this is important and there's gems that are dropped that I don't want to forget. So I'm going to put it in this notebook. I'm going to do it. So Gabe, I want to ask if you came across live well bipolar, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think about what that truly means for you? When I think about living well with bipolar, I, I, I think about spending more time living my life than I do managing bipolar and, and, and especially Bipolar owned me. There, there, there's no other way to say it. My entire life was at service to the illness. Everything I did, everything I touched, everything I felt, bipolar, 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 bipolar. I, I didn't even have original thought. I thought demons were under the bed. Bipolar, I, 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 everything. Just even what I ate was influenced by, you know, an eating disorder, just, just, just being fed, no pun intended, by bipolar disorder. So when I think of living well with bipolar disorder, it, it's not that bipolar disorder is gone. That, and that, that's why I like living well with bipolar disorder, right? It's there, right? It's like the roommate that you finally set good boundaries with and you can stand living with. You, you, you know, you, yes, their music still sucks, but they turn it off at nine o'clock now. Right. You know, yes, yes. They spend a lot of time in the bathroom, but they shut the door now. Right. And they no longer eat your food. And you know what? You've reached a nice detente and they're actually, you know, now that you think they're not the greatest roommate, you still wish you could afford to live alone, but you've accepted that you can't. And considering where you started with all of that horrible music, 24 seven, the bathroom door constantly wide open, no matter what they were doing in there and them eating your food. This is, this is acceptable appropriate boundaries, good roommate agreement, and you're just super happy all of a sudden. And somebody says, well, but you still got like a sucky roommate, right? And you're like, well, yeah, I mean, it's not great. I, I do wish I could afford to live alone, but since that's not an option for me, for whatever reason, and to complete the analogy, it's truly not an option, please nobody send anything about reverse mortgages or uh, you, you know how to buy like a tiny home and build it out of a crate. There's we're doing a bipolar thing here. There's no cure for bipolar. So there's no analogy to get rid of the roommate. But yeah, you're happy because your home is now your sanctuary again. And, and you, you've you made adjustments to, to, to tolerate and live well with this roommate. And it, now your peace is back. Your happiness is back. You put the key in the lock, you turn the door and you walk in with a smile. Whereas before you're, you're just like dreading it when it's time to go home. You're not like, Oh, maybe I'll just linger here at, at this restaurant for another half an hour. Maybe I'll stop and get coffee. You know what? I'm going to go to the mall. I just can't deal with, I, I can't deal with them. I can't deal with them. No, you go straight home from work. And that for me is living well with bipolar disorder. I know it's there, but you know what? It's going to be fine. Wow. When you said living more of your life, than managing it. And I love that analogy of the roommate analogies always help me, <laughs> help me so much. Cause I can just, okay, this is exactly what it is because something else that you said that stuck out of me is 
a lot of people that you meet say, oh, I don't actually know anyone who lives with bipolar. And you said you might think you don't know someone, but you do because they are not open about it. Maybe they're not out here on Instagram or social media telling the whole world, hey, I, I was hospitalized. Here's my history. And you really do know these people. They're, they're all over the place. They're living their lives. They are successful. They have accomplished these things, but they feel like it's that fear. It's that voice that's saying, don't share it because like we all have, you know, experiences that we have opened up and we have shared what happened is I was fired. I lost my relationship, all of these negative things, but the flip side of that, like you've been able to emphasize so well here is the people that you've been able to provide that path to that they didn't even think it existed. That's not even an option for me. This path that Gabe is talking about it wasn't around. It's not for me. I'm not one of those people who can fit to be able to live well with bipolar, but you really are. And I think that this was such, especially, you know, getting into a topic that is so near and dear to both of our hearts. And I wanted to, before we end this, I want to ask you, Gabe, to tell everyone, and I'll have all this linked in the show notes as well, but where can people go to connect with you and get more of you? You can absolutely go to my website, GabeHoward.com. And, and that's really the, the best place to go. GabeHoward.com has everything that I do. If you are interested in the podcast, and I am super proud of the podcast, it's Inside Bipolar. It's on your favorite podcast player. Just look for it. Or you can go to PsychCentral.com slash IBP. And Inside Mental Health. Yeah, I also host the Inside Mental Health podcast, which is not specific to bipolar. It's all of mental health. So it has a huge wide range of, of topics. And I, I do love the show. It's what got me started in podcasting all those years ago. And it's over at psychcentral.com slash show. And I think you also started a new show. I think I saw the preview, a bipolar and a schizophrenic. That's correct, right? Yeah. So, so a bipolar schizophrenic and a podcast is actually everything old is new again, right? They, everybody's rebooting everything. So uh, a bipolar schizophrenic and a podcast ran like five or six years ago uh, for, for about 90 episodes, ran for about a year and a half. Uh, and then, you, you know, we reach diminishing returns. We, you know, it's really, 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 really emotionally difficult to run a podcast where the person with bipolar disorder is delving into their shit. The person with schizophrenia is delving into their shit and then they're doing it together and fighting about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so after a while, we just had to end the podcast and uh, about, oh, I don't know, two years ago, somebody's like, you guys have to come back. And we were like, you know, that's, that's not so easy, but people just really, 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 really wanted us to come back. So we found a way to do 10 episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we got a sponsor and, and we did 10 episodes and people were like, loved it. And they're like, just, just keep doing this. Like every now and again, do 10 episodes. So the, 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 we did 10 episodes a, a little over a year ago. And now uh, coming back on February 20th uh, is, is an, another season of 10 episodes. They'll come out every other week for, for just 10 episodes. And uh, we were super, 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 I, our fans were incredible. They, uh, we crowdsourced it. Uh, I, I'm Gabe and Michelle were the hosts. We're not being paid, but of course, podcasting is expensive. Uh, mm -hmm. Editors cost money. Um, the producers cost money. Distribution costs money. Uh, and we were doing it on such a, a really, really high level that we couldn't like back down. Uh, I know this is a really long answer to say, yes, it's not new, but it's new to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And that's what I wanted to share is those podcasts, those resources. And I'll have that down below for you guys to go and connect with Gabe if you are not already connected. And I want to thank you for taking the time 
to listen to the Gabe's story, listen to this conversation. And I hope that you have pulled as much as I have from bringing this conversation to you guys. And I want to thank you for making the time to, to tune in, to be here and to put yourself or those you love and care for first in learning about this, this material, what it really looks like and how it is possible to live well bipolar. And what are the steps to put that into place for you or someone that you love? And Gabe, I also want to thank you for making the time to come out here, speak about this topic, speak about your experiences and delve into this world that you know, so well on bipolar disorder. So thank you so much for making the time to come out and share what you did today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really, really, really appreciate it. Awesome. And on that note, I hope you guys have a good rest of your day or nighttime, depending on when you are listening to this and we will see you in the next one. So bye guys. And bye Gabe. Bye. bye. See you.